Hello, people of the way. Blessings to you in Jesus. If you have your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Something that we have to keep in mind when we study the book of Philippians is the maturity level of the saints here. Remember how last week when we started in, in chapter 1, how we look at Philippians as a quasi-fifth Corinthians, uh, understanding that maturity level and growth in Christ Jesus. Now, something else we notice is... Paul's tenor, if you will. Uh, you know, you see, uh, it's the same Paul. You just see a different tenor, so to speak, a somewhat of a nice Paul. I'm doing my air quotes, a nice Paul. But when I say nice Paul, it's the same Paul. But do you remember when we, when we looked at our studies in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, how he would make mention, uh, to these other fellowships, these other regions of the, where the saints were, where he would say, your rejoicing isn't good. He said that to the, to the, the, the saints in Corinth. He also said, deliver such a one to Satan. He also says to separate from the leaven. He also says that, you know, it's like, I desire to come to you, but it's good that I don't come to you because if I come to you, I'm going to regulate. I'm going to clean house. We're going to clean house as a vessel of the Lord. These are things that he said to the church. Remember, he says to the Corinthian saints, do I praise you in this? I don't praise you in this. Do I praise you in that? I don't praise you in that. He says to the Galatians, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Jesus to a different gospel. You see, he says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now we can look at such phraseology, so to speak, such verbiage and be like, wow, why why is Paul so harsh? Why is it that in Philippians we see, quote unquote, nice Paul, but in like uh, Corinthians, we see like, you know, whoa, he's kind of harsh. Why is it? It's, it's not a matter of Paul being different. It's not a matter of Paul changing, but the quote unquote, the harshness, the abrasiveness, the sharp tongue that we see or the sharp pen that we see in Paul, it's a result of disobedience and carnality of the saints. You see? I meant for him to say, you guys, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. Why? Because there's leaven in the church. For him to say, deliver such a one to Satan, that's hardcore. But it's a result of the flesh. It's the result of the carnal nature. It's the same Paul. Same vessel that the Lord is using. Except we understand that because, you know, there's a, a, a discipline that needs to happen in the church, a, a chastisement. And I, I don't mean like, you know, uh, the, uh, beat the sheep kind of thing. But remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Now you see, you remember in our studies in Corinthians, how, you know, you would hear us say from time to time, like the, the cost of the defunct pastors, the defunct elders came at a heavy cost. Because defunct pastors then and even today, defunct pastors, defunct elders will keep saints in a 1 Corinthians chapter 3 level. It's not good. That's when babies stay babies. Being a baby is beautiful for babies. But then we have to mature. We have to grow in Christ. And you see this tenor of Paul. It's different in the Philippian, this, this, the book of Philippians, this letter to the saints in Philippi. It's different. 
same Paul, but the tenor is different. Why? Because the Philippian saints don't have the carnality that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They don't have the carnality of Galatians, people who wanted to go to the law to do the works of the law, justified by the works of the law. And you don't see that in Ephesians, but you absolutely don't see it in the Philippian saints. And so we make this distinction. It's the same Paul, same vessel of the Lord, except his tenor is directly proportional to carnality and the flesh and the spirit. Make this distinction. Understand this. I mean, look at a child. You know, you do the little tap tap of a child. You know, you know, baby girl, I love you, but you're disobedient. So tap tap. But then in the course of time, no more tap taps. Why? Because baby girl has learned. No more spankings. The, the love taps, little tap tap. But in the course of time, baby girl doesn't get love taps anymore. Why? Because she's learned. And you see the same thing in the church. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So this tenor of Paul is the same vessel. But then you see a level of obedience unlike that of Corinth. And it's beautiful. Because you have the Philippian saints as like a model church. And so we see here in chapter 2 verse 1. In continuation from last week, therefore, if there is any, this is verse 1, chapter 2, Philippians, therefore, if there is any consolation or encouragement, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, translates in the Greek as mercy and compassion, he says, fulfill my joy. Whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. Fulfill my joy. Remember, in our study in the book of Acts, when you hear us mention from time to time that he's not like the average bear, he's different. There's something different about Paul. Now, for Paul to say this, fulfill my joy, it's not like, you know, it's not one of the defunct pastors that we see in 1 Corinthians. It's not one of the defunct elders that we see in 1 Corinthians. It's not one of the uh, elders like we see in Acts 20, who Paul says, after my depart in Acts 20, remember in the, in the latter half of, uh, of Acts 20, when he says, after my departure, he says, I know this. That after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in. And even from among you, some of you guys will become ravenous wolves. He says that among the elders, the Miletus meeting, the elders of Ephesus, remember? This isn't one of the defunct elders or the elders who become a, a, a wolf saying, fulfill my joy. This is Paul saying, fulfill my joy. You see the closeness. Yes, Paul has his bubble, his entourage, where he's training the next generation of righteousness and the next generation of pastoral leadership, elders, overseers. But then at the same time, in this the, 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 this ministry, this field of the Lord, the workers of the Lord, Paul and the apostles and, 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 and Titus and, and, and Priscilla and Aquila, this is Paul saying, fulfill my joy. 
Very important to understand. I mean, imagine a defunct pastor from uh, uh, the First Corinthians chapter three bunch, one of the defunct who never corrected any of the works of the flesh that were happening, and he says, "Fulfill my joy." It's like you know, a, a picture, picture, picture a defunct pastor saying that to Chloe. Remember our study through First Corinthians, and you see those in Chloe's household. Picture Chloe hearing that from one of the defunct pastors. Hey, Chloe, fulfill my joy. She's who is this guy? Who is this guy? The carnality that we see in the church is a result of his defunctness. And he's saying, fulfill my joy. But then when Paul says, fulfill my joy, it's a little different. In some cases, a lot different. Not to deify Paul, but to deify and see Christ in Paul. To see Christ in Priscilla, to see Christ in Aquila, to see Christ in Lydia. You see, he's the one who's saying, fulfill my joy. Remember, in verse 1, if there's any consolation or encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit and any affection of mercy, which is mercy and compassion, fulfill my joy, Philippian saints. How does that happen? By being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. You see? You say, wait a second, I thought this was a mature mature church. And he, Paul is saying that if there is any consolation, if any comfort, if any fellowship, if any affection and mercy, and he's telling them to be of the same mind of one accord, I thought they were already mature. Yes. But there is always room for further growth to the point of crucifixion. Crucifixion. Just like Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Remember, when we look at our study in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and in Ephesians chapter 2, or Galatians chapter 2, I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Very beautiful. Very beautiful. But remember, this is Paul saying that. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, it's not to say that a 1 Corinthians 3 type of saint can't say this. But a 1 Corinthians 3 type of Christian, type of saint, cannot say this yet. Why? Because they need to carry their cross. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. And when that happens, through growth and maturity in Christ... All of a sudden, new things come into play. Certain passages are effectuated through maturity, such as, I have been crucified with Christ. I'll give you an example. Say you know of a carnal believer, a carnal Christian, somebody who loves the Lord, believes in the Lord, but they also love their crack. They also love their sex. They also love the strippers. They also love the drugs and the alcohol and the whole nine yards. And, you know, they love the Lord. They don't fear the Lord. But they love the Lord. They they believe in Jesus Christ. And say they've been a believer for three months. 
Now, if they've been a believer for three years, now we need to separate the, the, the biblical model that we see in Corinth. But say this person has been a believer for three months, so they're a baby, but there's no growth. There's no carrying the cross. There's no reckoning the old man dead, no reckoning the old woman dead. So they believe in Jesus Christ. They love Jesus Christ, but they are still carnal. Can such a person say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The answer is no. Why? Because there's no crucifixion. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, a, 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 a carnal believer to the level that we see in 1 Corinthians 1, where, you know, for three years of arrested development, where you see the sex, the, the alcohol, the extortion, all these works of the flesh for three years uncorrected. When that is identified, Paul says, okay, now you need to separate. This is the remnant and this is the leaven. It's not to say that a believer, a new believer, even even somebody who's been playing games with the Lord for three months, five months, eight months, and I'm in no way, shape, or form am I trying to excuse taking advantage of God's grace. Never take advantage of God's grace. But at the same time, we do make mistakes. The problem is who among us learns from those mistakes? And when you see the saints in Philippi, and you know, you see the saints in Corinth, yes, they're saints, but you see the diff, the varying levels of maturity. You don't see the harsh phraseology that you see in, 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 in the Corinthian letters. You don't see that in Philippi. Why? Because there's no need for it. There's no need for it. Why? Because they're mature. And then at the same time, the, 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 those in the larger concentration in Philippi that are able to echo these very words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Remember our study from, from last week in, 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 in Philippians chapter one, where, uh, 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 when we see in, um, uh, in Philippians 1, where we see uh, that they're growing in Christ, but for 13 years, in, in verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, Philippians 1, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, from the first day until now, the church being founded in 49 AD, and this letter, the Philippian letter, written in 62 AD, so for 13 years, you see growth. You see the inclusion in chapter 1, verse 1, with the bishops and the deacons, with the overseers and the teachers. You don't see the overseers and teachers being included in Paul's letter to Corinth. Why? They were defunct. To Corinth, he says, you guys have 10,000 teachers. 10,000 teachers. But one father, spiritual father, he speaks of himself. He speaks of the saints in Corinth like he like he gave birth to how it translates in the Greek like they passed through his birth canal. He's a male. He doesn't have a birth canal, but he's speaking spiritually according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. 
We have to understand these things. We have to recognize because it will help us not recognize. We're like, you know, man, you know, I'm, I'm not crucified with Christ. Therefore, I, you know, I guess I can never be crucified. No, that's that's the, it's, you know, not to get on. A, it's not the, the Philippian saints get on a high horse and say, oh, you know, look, you, you Corinthian saints, look, you're not like us. No. Remember the rugby match? The Philippian saints are like the 20 year olds. The Corinthian saints are like the four-year-olds. You see? It's just like the rugby match from our study in Romans. If you've been walking with us for a while, you know, you remember. And if you don't, listen to our study through Romans and you'll understand. It's the rugby match. It's not to say like, wow, you know, look, we're we're rugby players and we're going to just destroy you four-year-olds. You know, we're 20-year-old, 22-year-old, big, strong, and, you know, and we, we're going to play rugby. And here, four-year-old, hold on to this ball and we're just going to destroy you. We're going to mow over you. No. It's that mature who has to humble himself. It's the mature who has to humble herself so that we can play rugby with the four-year-olds. Understanding that the four-year-olds, they're going to become five, six, 10, 15. They're the ones that are going to, you know, because the mature, they're going to get older. And so like the 80-year-old can join in the rugby match. It's not that the the young and strong, that they get on a high horse and be like, yeah, we're young and strong and we win all our games and all these things. Winning, the whole idea, the whole concept of winning is completely different than the ideas of what this world offers for winning. You see? And we have to be honest with ourselves. And that's my exhortation to you. Be be straight up with yourself. Be straight up. You have to admit, we have to admit, I have to admit, we're in the same boat. Where am I? Where are you in our level of maturity with Christ? Am I in the 1 Corinthians 3 bunch? Am I in the 1 Corinthians 6 bunch? Am I in the 2 Corinthians type? Am I of the Galatians type? Am I of the Ephesians type? Or am I of the Philippians type? Now, the Philippians type, that's like, you know, we strive to get into the Philippians type. That's the that's the goal to be of the Philippian type. But not everybody's not every individually speaking, not everybody's there. I mean, not to sound like, you know, Debbie Downer, but a lot of people aren't there. (laughs) But we always have hope. We always have hope. And when you're honest with yourself, okay, so say, for example, you're straight up with yourself and you discover, you know what? I am a 1 Corinthians 3 type of saint. I'm still a saint. I'm a 1 Corinthians 3 type of saint. Now, ask yourself another question. Why? Why? Which is multifaceted. It could be because of the works of your flesh. That's absolutely true and most likely true. But it could also be, which is also most likely true, a result of the defunct pastor, the defunct elder who refuses to fulfill his responsibility as overseer in the church. His responsibility. Overseers, coverings, always male. It could be, and it's probably a combo. Where you see an abundance of the works of the flesh in a fellowship, where you see the abundance of that, most likely what's also identified 
is defunctness among the pastors, among the elders. Most likely. So when you're honest with yourself, if you discover that you're in, you're just straight up in your heart of hearts, yes, I'm a First Corinthians 3. Now, ask yourself why and be straight up again. Is it because, you know, you might have a, 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 a pastor who's the formula is right in him. Now you say, oh, my pastor's female. Formula is wrong. Okay, so we've identified a problem. Now, if the formula is wrong, you, you can't expect the formula to be right of what comes out of said individual. Because it's, it's holy. There's, there's specific blueprints that the Lord outlines in his word. Very specific blueprints. Very specific. It's just like, you remember Moses in the mountain in our study in, in Exodus? Moses, all by himself. I mean, I say all by himself, but he's with the Lord. He's on the, in the cloud on top of the mountain. And outside of the cloud is Joshua, his assistant. Very beautiful when you see that Joshua and Moses undefiled from what was happening in the camp of Israel. And then at the same time, you see this blueprints that the Lord gives to Moses. And I love Moses. He comes down, the, he gets, comes out of the cloud and he sees Joshua there. And then Joshua, when you read the Bible and you see like uh, the order of events and getting up there and then the order of events coming down, what should have happened is Moses coming out of the mountain, come out of the cloud and seeing Joshua and then them two coming down and then seeing the elders with Aaron and, and, and the elders. That's what, which, and then they all go down into the camp of Israel. That's what should have happened. I mean, when you follow the order of events up the mountain, down the mountain should have been the same. But the elders were seduced. The elders were seduced and Aaron was seduced to return to the camp. Not Joshua. And so Moses and Joshua coming down the mountain. Oh, no elders. I wonder where they are. Maybe they went back to camp. They get closer to the camp of Israel and they see like the parting, all kinds of wickedness, works of the flesh, all kinds of wickedness. They see the golden calf. And what's so powerful about that, yes, there's some, it's very bad what happens because there's judgment that comes on Israel, the, ca- the camp of Israel. Judgment comes. And it's sad. But there's beauty behind it because Moses doesn't just throw away the blueprints that he received from the Lord. I mean, the Lord told him, the garments of the, the priesthood. And he come, he told that Aaron, Aaron was going to be high priest. And then he comes down and he sees Aaron with the golden calf. You see, it's Moses doesn't just throw it all away and be like, oh, you know, there's a disconnect. Yes, there was a disconnect. But you see, repentance had to happen. There was always hope. Always hope. And so... If you're among the, 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 the first Corinthians three bunch, which is our babies, the problem with that is they're babies and they stayed babies. Don't think that you can never be the Philippians type because you can absolutely be the Philippians type. Right now, if you discover right here, right now that you're the first Corinthians three type, now I would question the the ability to, to Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no lo- It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
I would question that for you. Not in a bad way. I mean, if you stayed that way, then that would be bad. Not in a bad way. But to exhort you. To comfort you in this promise, but then also to exhort you and say, hey, reckon the old man dead. The alcohol, throw it away. The pornography, throw it away. The sex, the alcohol, the drugs, throw it away. Garbage. Reckon the old man dead. That is the old nature. The old woman dead. That is the old nature. You see? And then you carry your cross. And then what you're doing when that happens is that you're moving in a spiritual sense and also in a physical and literal sense. You're moving from 1 Corinthians 3 on your way to a Philippians type. It's beautiful. It's the path of every Christian who matures in Christ. It's the path of every believer who matures in Christ. You know, Satan knows this. Satan knows this. And he doesn't want any Christian to be a Philippian type. He doesn't want any church to be a Philippian type. So what does he do? He muddies the waters. And he's very successful. Remember, in this spiritual battle, in a spiritual war, victories happen on both sides. Satan has victories, yes. But so do Christians. And when the formula is right... It's beautiful. It's powerful. Because when the formula is right, and remember the multiple vessels, multiple pots, it's the Lord. It's the Lord who's the one who's doing it. Not you, not me. It's the Lord who's doing it. We're just empty vessels. Do you see how powerful that is? It's not to say like, you know, hey, you know, you're not crucified with Christ and, you know, you live and Christ doesn't live in you. No, it's to say those things which so easily ensnare you, throw them away. Give them up. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the little white lies, the Ouija boards, the, the Buddha and things of the occult. Give it up. Repent. Throw them in the trash. You carry your cross. And together we move on to perfection. And in the course of time, look at what, what look at what can become effectuated inside of you. All of a sudden, chapter 2, Galatians verse 20 comes into play. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And all of a sudden, that becomes effectuated in you. You see? Because we mature. We grow in Christ. Not to be Debbie Downer and be like, okay, well, you know, I guess you're predestined for hell. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not Reformed theory. Now, if you're Reformed Calvinist, I love you, but come out of her, my people. Listen to our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand more. What's happening among Calvinists and Reformed is that they're starting to teach you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell, a trap from, from Satan. Go ahead. Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Because once saved, always saved. That's in accordance to Reformed theory. Calvinism. It's wrong. We have to be straight up. With ourselves and with one another. And with the Lord. Be straight up. You see, it's so powerful. When we live lives in in such manner. 
Because God can go to work. Remember the formula in, then through? He does the work in, which can take, you know, a month or it can take years. He does the work in. It can take 40 years. And then when he does the work through, Satan knows. Satan doesn't want any saints to look like the Philippian church. He doesn't want any saints to be in the Philippian model. He doesn't mind the 1 Corinthians 3 model. Why? Because easy pickings for him. But once we get into Philippians, you see something different among these saints. They became Christians 13 years ago. I mean, you know, in that Acts Philippians timeline. And 13 years later, they have grown. They have matured. Beautiful pastors, beautiful elders who fed, who taught, who corrected, who oversaw. And it was very good for these saints in Philippi to heed these pastors. Not so good for the saints in Corinth to heed those teachers because look at the fruit. You see? And Paul says to Corinthians, you guys got 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. He's speaking of himself. Like like they went through his birth canal. He has no birth canal, but he's speaking spiritually. And so this Paul, in Philippians 2, Verse 2, this Paul, not like the average bear, says, you guys, fulfill my joy. By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through, remember the formula, one of the formulas. I shouldn't say one of the, like the formula among other formulas. In, then, through. In, then through. In, then through. The Lord does the work in you, and then he does work through you. Now, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they like to become Christians. Okay, the Lord's going to do the work through me. When that's not, the, that's not the order of operations. It's in, then through. It's not through, then in. No. In, then through. Let nothing be done in verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Now, in the Greek, it translates. I have certain beefs with the New King James Version. This is one of them. Because in the Greek, it translates as intrigue, which is like, uh, like secret schemes and like vainglory or to, 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 to vainly glorify. And Paul is saying, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Do you ever, you know, like somebody who desires to be a pastor, not to die and protect and teach and pour into, but a person who likes to be a pastor because the, for the accolades of men. So people can say, you know, just so to be popular, like it's a popularity contest or, you know, tax advantages. Selfish ambition, you see? Vain glory. The accolades of men. Secret schemes. Oh, how can I be a tax cheat? 
How can I be a tax cheat? I think I'm going to be become a pastor so I can cheat with the IRS, so I can cheat the government, and then get these a parsonage over here, a parsonage over here, get this private jet that's specifically used for ministry. You know, air quotes, specifically used for ministry. I'm just going to go minister here in Barbados. I'm just going to go minister here in the Caribbean. I'll go minister here in, you know, Seychelles. I'm going to go minister over here in Bora Bora. Doesn't work that way. Biblically, doesn't work that way. The Lord knows. The Lord sees. Secret schemes. Oh, look, you know, I can be a pastor and teach. And look, I can, you know, do all this sex, do all this drugs. Wickedness. Among pastors. Pastors who are straight up drug dealers. They teach they preach, but they're drug dealers. They're pushing drugs. A little, you know, the front is church. The front is pastor. But there's a dirty business when you lift up the hood. It happens. And it is happening. And the Lord sees. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You see how powerful this is? In lowliness of mind, which is humility of mind. Let each esteem others better or superior than himself. You know, somebody... Somebody says, oh, I have a better car than you. I have a better house than you. That's nice. No big deal. I got a better job than you. I make more money. That's not you. And? You see? And it's so powerful because when we see these things and we when we live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, it's like, okay, I'm all about the Lord's business. We're all about the Lord's business. You can, you know, uh, flip burgers. Minimum wage job. Or, you know, a, 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 a high wage. Forget wages. We're, we're all about the Lord's business. I mean, look at the, the, the poor saints in Jerusalem. If you recall our study through the entirety of Acts. You see the poor saints in Jerusalem, but then you see the wealthy people, such as Barnabas, son of encouragement, then that son of encouragement moniker, the name was given to him by the apostles. Why was he a son of encouragement? Because he would sell his property, multiple properties, sell a property and take 100% of the proceeds of that sale and give it to the church. You see? Straight up, give it to the church. That's hardcore. Not skimping off the top. 100%. So you see, poor saints and wealthy saints, and of the wealthy, yes, it's it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of, eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But yet you see people like Barnabas. For the rich and poor to sit next to each other, embrace each other, love each other, and not be like, oh, you know, you dumb rich people. And not for the rich guy to say, oh, you dumb poor people. 
You see, unity. Unity. Who cares about the money? Let each esteem others as better than himself. Remember the Philippian saints? Model church. Just as, you know, you have patterns among the apostles, among not just the apostles, but among vessels that the Lord uses. Paul says, you know, the Lord has these people as patterns. Well, look at Philippians as a pattern for church. He says in verse 4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You see? The interest of others. The desire for God's blessings on another person. It's true, the rain falls on the righteous and wicked. God blesses the entire globe. But to desire the the blessings of the Lord even more so on another person? There's a specific formula for God's blessings to be on the receiving receiving end of God's blessing. There's a specific formula. You see, it's true that God blesses everybody in different capacities. The rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. Rain is used to grow crops, to have drinking water. Blessings of the Lord on the righteous and the wicked. But to have even more blessings of the Lord, there's a very specific formula in accordance to these blueprints we have before us called the Bible, called the Word of God. You see? It's not just, oh, you know what? I'm going to go beat on my wife, cheat on my wife. I'm going to go to the strippers. I'm going to go gambling. I'm going to you know, worship Buddha. I'm going to do all these things. Oh, and I want the blessings of God. No, it doesn't work that way. There's a very specific formula. And so we see here, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. It just so happens that we study this on Wednesday. Remember, uh, uh, the the loses an ox or a sheep. A guy loses the ox or the sheep. Another person finds it. Okay, finders, keepers, look, I'm blessed of the Lord. No, the Lord says, okay, you know, return that. Return the animal to your brother who's lost it. The brother's in need, needs help. Very interesting how we see passages like this when there's overlap, where we see this intersection, Old Testament and New Testament, where the same Lord is teaching us the very same things, which is what? Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Remember, in, then, through. We see in verse 5, let this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You see, Jesus was and is the formula. You know, you hear us say from time to time, the formula's got to be right. The formula must be right. The word became flesh. Jesus is the formula. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. But notice what happens in verse 7. 
but made himself or emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form or the nature of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, everything in fulfillment of prophecy. His first coming, fulfillment of prophecy. His second coming, there's more prophecies to be fulfilled. Speaking of Jesus, he says in verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You see? Remember, Satan tried to tempt Jesus. I mean, he tried to kill him when he was a baby through his through Satan's vessel, Herod. You see? And then he tempted Jesus. After his baptism, he tempted Jesus, tried to, made attempts, used the Bible, used the word of God to try and tempt Jesus. And yet, our Lord was obedient to his Father. We see here in verse 8 how Jesus Christ, he humbled himself and became obedient. Remember, Father, take this cup from me. That's what he says. The Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup from me. Father, take it. I don't want it. But not my will. Thy will. So I'll take it. Obedient. You see? Now, this word for, it says in the Greek, became obedient. But in the Greek, it's a process. Which is to listen to heed, to submit, and to become obedient. You see, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, the writer here in verse 5 says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. Now, he was high priest in the order of Melchizedek, but he says... Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, it was the father who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In verse six, as he speaking of the father, as he also said in an, says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who? In the days of his flesh, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, the Father, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. That's Jesus. The godly fear of Jesus, our Lord. Now we see this in verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Do you see how hardcore this is? He learned obedience. Not to suggest that he was ever disobedient because he's the lamb without blemish. But the same way you and me have forks in the road. We remember in our study in Romans, you know, we turn left, we walk according to the flesh, or we turn right, we walk according to the spirit. 
Sometimes we choose to walk according to the flesh for various reasons. And when we identify that, we repent and the Lord supernaturally brings us back on the right track or, you know, brings us back on the right track. And not to say that, you know, that it's never going to happen again, because in multiple times in one day, you're going to have multiple forks in the road. Multiple forks in the road, multiple times just in one day. Now, for every one of those moments, we should walk according to the spirit. But that doesn't happen because we learn to obey the Lord. We make a choice to, you might make a choice, okay, I'm going to do this according to the Spirit. Praise be to the Lord because we look, we've learned. But then it's like, okay, now there's this. Okay, now I walk according to the flesh. And then you realize like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have done that. Or sometimes it's very severe. You know, the chastisement. Okay, I'm in the flesh. Lord, forgive me. I repent. And then all of a sudden, we're right back on track. That's rinse and repeat. That's the that's the walk of the Christian. We have multiple forks in the road. Jesus Christ had multiple forks in the road. And every single decision he made honored the Lord. Why? He was sinless. The lamb without blemish. He's the only one. Everything we see in the law. You know, in our studies in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, how you hear us say from time to time, the only one who is biblically qualified to even execute these very things that we study in the Old Testament, in the Torah, the very one who is even qualified to, to, to even execute these things, and in some cases, execution, there's only one. And he's the one who says, no, for now. Because the door of mercy and grace is open. And this door is going to close. Prophetically speaking, the door will close the same way that the door closed on the ark. The same exact way that the door closed on the ark is the same exact way that the door of mercy and grace will close. And by then, it's done. I mean, you hear us say from time to time, let today be the day of salvation. And I'll keep saying that till I'm blue in the face. But understand that this door will close. And in Noah's day, many mockers, Noah's building an ark, nowhere near an ocean, and he's building an ark. Oh, Noah, you're so stupid. Look, the ocean's way over there and you're doing this here. Number one, you're not near the water. Number two, when you build this ark, you're, how are you going to get it to the ocean? Noah, how are you going to get this big, massive boat to the ocean? You're so stupid. And he's a preacher of righteousness, Noah. Come on, Noah, let's go to the bar. Let's go get drunk. No thanks, guys. I have to listen to the Lord. Noah, you're so stupid. I can't believe you're doing this. And his son's helping him. The wives helping him. All working together, building the ark. And then the Lord gives the command. Okay, today's the day. Today's the day. Now, the Bible doesn't say, now go round up these animals. It's the Lord who set the animals. Right up into the ark. The people walk in, the humans, 
Noah and his family, they walk in and their their wives, they walk in and then the, the door closes and it was sealed from the outside. The Lord shut the door. Now, the rains came. And the rains didn't stop. All those mockers changed their mind quite quickly. I should have listened. I should have listened to Noah. I'm a, I get, sometimes I interchange Moses and Noah. But if I said Moses earlier, I meant Noah. Noah, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. But now the rains, it's, the, the, the water, it's to the ankles. Oh, no big deal. It's just a heavy rainstorm. Now it's at the knees. Now it's at the knees and the rain's not stopping. I wonder how many people started to think, okay, we might be in trouble here, guys. Now it's to the waist. Okay. Maybe we should have listened to, to Noah. Now it's at the chest. Arms are getting tired because little babies can't swim. And so people have to carry their babies, their little children. They have to carry their little babies and their arms are getting tired. And now all of a sudden, only the swimmers can survive. And they get tired and they sink. The door was sealed. The door, the door was open. But it's no longer open. The church age is coming to a close. Let today be the day of salvation. Yesterday, you might have called me a fool. Oh, you're so stupid. Who is this guy? He's so dumb. He's such a fool. I'm a fool for Christ. This door of grace and mercy is open. Enter it. And to enter it requires belief in Jesus Christ. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. Get in the ark. You see? And we grow, we learn together. You see? It's so powerful. And then at the same time to understand that Jesus Christ, you know, he had these multiple forks in the road. And you and me, sometimes we walk according to the flesh. Sometimes we walk according to the spirit. And as we grow and mature, we're still going to make choices according to the flesh. But we make more choices according to the spirit. And then we learn. You see, and we make less choices according to the flesh. Just like, you know, go and sin no more, Jesus Christ said. Go and sin no more. We too. It's not that we're ever sinless, but we can sin less and less and less. Why? Because we're learning to walk according to the Spirit. Now, that's what happens when you go from a 1 Corinthians 3 type to a Philippians type. That's what happens. Because you learn to walk according to the Spirit. But if you're a 1 Corinthians 3 type and you stay a 1 Corinthians 3 type, you're in danger. Now, why? Why are you in that state? It could be you. It could be the pastor. It could be you. It could be the teacher. It's probably a combination of both. You see? 
You re- that's you. You repent, you come to Christ or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. And if it's the pastor who's been, you know, oh yeah, you know what? A female pastor. If it's a, a, a not the right formula, coverings always male. Overseers always male. Not the right formula. The pastor says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Pastor says, God is done with Israel. And now, you know, God's promises are now to the church. And God is all done with Israel. Israel had his chance and it's over. Oh, you know, we're going to call glitter the Holy Spirit. Or let's go grade soaking. Once you identify that the problem was with the pastor, the formula's wrong. Now, jump ship. Jump ship. It is not safe for you. We have these multiple forks in the road and we, you know, we might take, you know, all of it, every single one of our choices walking according to the flesh. That's like the first Corinthians three type, maybe a little bit here to the right from time to time. But more often we go left according to the flesh. Philippians, the exact opposite. You see the majority walking according to the spirit, maybe a little bit here, a little left turn here every now and then. But then, you know, very shortly, repentance. A people who have learned to walk according to the Spirit. That's where we want to be. You and me. That's where we want to be. Walking according to the Spirit. Not the flesh. Jesus Christ. Multiple forks in the road. And every single one of them were done in obedience to the Lord. Every single one of the choices he made were obedient to the Lord. Walking according to the Spirit. And in so doing, he learned obedience. You see? Just like we see here in verse 8, Hebrews 5, verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. How does that happen? By the things which he suffered. Saints today, we don't like to suffer. Understand what the Lord can do through suffering. And in so doing, we learn obedience. You see? Or we can learn obedience. And look what happens with our Lord himself. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You see? The author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. How powerful is this? When we remember in verse 5, in verse 5, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. He didn't say, oh, you look, I'm the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He didn't say that. Our father, our father gave that to him. You see, you see, Jesus Christ himself in submission to his father, teaching us how to submit to him. He doesn't come out and say, oh, look, I'm high priest in the order of Melchizedek. His father called him that. You see? Complete and total submission to the father. Even in saying, Father, take this cup from me, but yet not my will. Thy will, Father. 
And so in verse 10, he's called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say. Of whom, speaking of Jesus, high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and of him, Christ, we have much to say. And yes, hard to explain, But why is it hard to explain? Look at verse 11. Since you have become dull of hearing. Whoa. Remember Paul? In 1 Corinthians 3. Turn really quick to 1 Corinthians 3. He's speaking to saints. A letter to saints. Christians. Seemingly spiritual people. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. I can't talk to you. I mean, I can talk to you, but I can't talk to you like to spiritual people. I have to speak to you, he says in verse 1, as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Remember, three years. They became believers And then for three years, arrested development, no growth, no maturing in Christ. The works of the flesh, uncorrected. By the 10,000 teachers, he says, I fed you with milk in verse 2 and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal. You're still babies. There's deep spiritual ribeye steaks and pork chops and things that we can sink our teeth into. But you, Corinthians, it's not for you. It's not for you because you are still carnal. You are still babies. What mother would feed a a, a fresh baby? What mother would serve a, a pork chop? It doesn't happen. No teeth. Milks. Milk is for babies. Milk is beautiful. It's for babies. Babies are beautiful. But even the natural, the natural world testifies of the very act of maturing and growing. The very same thing that happened in Corinth is the very same thing that the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5. That these things have become In verse 11, Hebrews 5, verse 11, these things have become hard to explain. Why? You become dull of hearing. How does that happen? Verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You see, milk is beautiful for babies. But a steady diet of milk is very, very, very dangerous. Look at, why is it that these deep spiritual things, they have become hard to explain? Why is it? It's because you have saints who have become dull of hearing through milk. Going back to a diet of milk. I mean, the natural world, say we're first graders, first graders, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And then all of a sudden, 
a person keeps failing these exams. Okay, now you got to repeat the fifth grade. Fail those exams. Okay, now you got to repeat the fourth grade. Okay, fails those. Now you got to repeat the third grade. Fails those. Now you got to report third, second, and first. Going back to milk. The natural world testifies of these things, these things, but then at the same time, understand the same thing happens in the spirit. For everyone in verse 13 who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, still a baby, who partakes only in milk, no pork chops, no ribeyes, no T-bones, no spiritual teeth to sink into, no spiritual teeth to tear at the meat. Because in verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have have their sense by reason of use have their senses senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see? Remember, Satan knows this formula. Satan knows that Christians should go from 1 Corinthians 3 to Philippians. Spiritually speaking, Christians should go from 1 Corinthians 3 to Philippians. He'll fight tooth and nail to prevent that from happening. And he has victories. He has victories. He doesn't have the ultimate victory. He knows he's going to burn in hell. He just wants to drag people with him. You see? Satan doesn't want Christians to be in the Philippians bunch. He wants them to be in the 1 Corinthians 3 bunch. Where Paul, a vessel of the Lord, says, commit such a one to Satan. You see? But with growth and maturity, we understand these things. These deep spiritual things. Yes, there's milk. But then there's, you know, just like a baby, little Cheerios, you know, little pieces of chicken. And then all of a sudden, like like pork chops. You see? Ribeyes. T-bones. And Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, he didn't come on the scene and say, hey guys, I'm the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. No. He humbled himself. He learned obedience. Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, thy will. And then the Father says, called by God, verse 10, Hebrews 5, as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You see? Not the formula was right in Christ. He was the straight up formula. He is the formula. You and me, we follow him. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, what pastor, if, if a pastor says, follow me. A pastor says, follow me. Where is he going? Who is he following? 
Follow me. Let's take the mark of the beast. We'll still be saved. Don't follow him. Follow me. God is done with Israel. God replaced Israel with the church. Follow me. I'm going to call the glitter the Holy Spirit. Follow me. Let's go lay on the graves and soak up the Holy Spirit in the graves. That's dangerous. You follow that, you're going to die. But like Paul, a pastor says, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, it's different. Something different about Paul. He's not like the average bear. Even Peter chastised publicly, rebuked publicly by Paul. And Peter is saying, hey guys, listen to Paul. He knows his stuff. You see? Deep spiritual things. Listen to what Paul says. That's hardcore. And so understanding that Jesus Christ, not the formula was right in him. He is the straight up formula. Now, Understanding this, we go back to Philippians chapter 2. In verse 7, we see that Jesus Christ, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. You see? And in his obedience, remember, he didn't come on the scene and say, I am the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He didn't say that. Even though he was fulfilled, he fulfilled that prophecy, even though he fulfilled it, he didn't say that. But in obedience to his father, to our father, in obedience to him, our father called him that. In verse 9, therefore, God, our Father, also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, you see, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. Now, this is where the universalists get in trouble because they say, oh, there's no need for us to to share the gospel. There's no need for Christians to share the gospel because, look, every knee is going to bow at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. So, you know, we don't have to share the, the good news, the gospel. There's no need because, look, God is sovereign and he'll go ahead and take care of that. But that's not the formula. Why would Jesus say, go and make disciples if he was just going to do it himself? It's very true that at the name of Jesus, the name above every name, and yes, his the, the name above every name, but remember, it is also written, his word is above his name. That's how you know this is the real Jesus. Everything aligns with the word. 
And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. It's not a universalist approach. Now, in a military sense, in a military environment, say you're, you're based in the United States. An officer walks in. What do you say? Somebody says, attention on deck. Attention on deck. Everybody stands up at the position of attention. You see? Everybody stands up at the position of attention. If you're based in Singapore, same thing. Attention on deck. Everybody stands. If you're in Japan, same thing. Attention on deck. Everybody stands. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. It's not a universalist mindset that says, well, you know, God's going to take care of it so we don't have to tell anybody about Jesus Christ. We don't have to tell anybody the good news because God's just going to automatically do it. Universalism. Go ahead, live life, do everything you got to because, you know, every knee's going to bow anyways. But much like those locations, whether it be in the U.S., whether it be in, in Singapore, whether it be in Japan, that same thing, that same concept of locale, the very same thing we see here, whether it be on heaven, whether it be on earth, or whether it be under the earth. In verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's powerful. It's very important to understand these things. Even more so in these last days. Even more so in these last days. And you know, it just, it blows me away so much. Because you have people who have this universalist approach. Well, we don't have to share the good news. We don't have to share the gospel. Because look, every knee's going to bow anyways. And that every tongue should confess in verse 11 that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't forget the Old Testament example that even the dead were circumcised. Even the dead were circumcised and spiritually speaking, even the dead are circumcised. But for the dead, it's too late. I've heard pastors give sermons about David going to war and getting... Many, many, many foreskins of the enemy. Many, many, many foreskins of those he waged war against. And many, many pastors, it, well, you know, it's just, uh, it's symbolic, you know. Yeah, but David wanted to hit him where it hurts, you know. And David wanted to do this. And it's symbolic of, you know, hey, don't mess with us. Because look, if you mess with us, this is what you're going to be. You're, 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 we're going to take your foreskins and all. It's the flesh. These are explanations according to the flesh. Spiritually speaking, the dead know. But for them, it's too late. It's circumcision of the dead. The foreskins from David's exploits of war. 
The foreskins is the circumcision, meaning they don't doubt anymore. They do not doubt anymore, except for them it's too late because they're dead. The son of David will do exactly the same thing. The son of David, son of man, son of God. You see? Remember? Lazarus and the rich guy? And the rich guy, you know, Father Abraham send, you know, do this, tell my family. It's too late. It's too late. Circumcision of the dead. Foreskins of the dead. They no longer doubt. They absolutely believe. Except it's too late. The time to choose is while alive. Far better is it to be circumcised while alive than be circumcised when dead. You see, if you're circumcised when dead, it's too late. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see here in verse 12, therefore, my beloved. Remember, don't, don't forget. This is Paul. Formerly in his B.C. days, his before Christ days, he used to arrest, beat, and kill Christians. This guy. Different. Same vessel. He lived with, with carnal eyes. He looks the same. But with spiritual eyes, he's different. Circumcised while living. In Christ is the only way females can be circumcised. To my sisters, in Christ, circumcised. According to the flesh, impossible. According to the spirit, entirely possible. I mean, if you're a female non-believer and you're listening, you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about it because, you know, circumcision is impossible with me. No. If you die without Christ, you will be circumcised, but it'll be too late because you've died without Christ. Better it is for you I hope to say eventually soon, my female sister, better it is for you to be circumcised now. You say, oh, I can't be circumcised. I'm female. I'm not speaking according to the flesh. I'm speaking about your heart. Circumcision of heart. You see, believe in Jesus Christ. God loves you. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Christ, might be saved. But he didn't create robots. He doesn't force any, he doesn't force anybody. A soul must choose him. You must choose him. And if you want to choose him, let today be the day of salvation. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you do that. And then you come back and listen, and you are my, bro- my brother, you are my sister, and I love you. 
Even if you don't do that. You want to be on the fence a little bit. I say, don't do that. I don't want you to do that, but I love you still. The door is open. It's not wide open, but it is open. It's getting, it's closing. The church age is coming to a close, straight up. It's coming to a close. And this door will close. When it closes, it's too late. And Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Remember in verse in chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul says your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, that's 13 years. 13 years. And so we see here, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And he says this, work out or finish your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a scary verse. It doesn't have to be scary. It can be scary. It doesn't have to be scary. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We have a choice to make. So many people say, well, you know, we're going to get a glorified body. I'm going to get a glorified body. Well, don't forget, when, 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 when Paul teaches about the glorified body in 1 Corinthians 15, that is said to a remnant. It is not said in 1 Corinthians 3. It's said in 1 Corinthians 15 where correction has happened. Oh, but I believed in the finished work of the cross. Amen. Amen. I too believe in the finished work of the cross. But I have a couple questions. Question number one. Do you carry one? I believe in the finished work of the cross. Amen. So do I. First question, do you carry one? Second question, are you on it? And I echo the words of my brother, Paul. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Remember, in, 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 then through. In, 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 then through. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, I do not want to lord over anybody. I do not want to lord over anybody. But there's something I want you to write down. And it is this. When he says here that it is God who works in you both to will and to do. To will and to do. This is how it translates. Write this down. This is what God does. This is the God who works in you, in us. To will and to do. It is this. And write this down. I don't want to lord over you, but if you're willing, write this down. To determine, to delight, to be active, to be mighty, and 
to show himself. That's how it translates in the Greek. To will and to do. That's what God our Father delights to do. Determines and delights in you. To be active, to determine, to delight, to be active, to be mighty, and to show himself. You see how hardcore that is? Now, carnally speaking, a person can look at Stephen, the a martyr in the early church. A person can look at Stephen, carnally speaking, as I once did. And think this is the weakest guy ever. He's not even fighting back. The Christians, they're so weak, they're not even helping him. They're not even fighting back. But that's carnally speaking. Spiritually speaking, according to the Spirit, to see Brother Stephen among the mightiest of warriors. And he saw God. That's hardcore. He says this in verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Remember our studies in in the Old Testament, Leviticus and Numbers about the murmuring and complaining? You think that's Israel murmuring and and complaining? I mean, yes, (laughs) in Numbers. But you think we don't do that either? We absolutely do it. Murmur and complain, murmur and complain. Yes, we absolutely do that. But we learn. We learn. Not to murmur and complain. Paul says to the saints, the Philippians, do all things without complaining and disputing. Now, in saying this, he's not, this isn't a, this isn't a chastising phraseology here where, like, you know, you guys murmur and complain and you shouldn't do that. Do I praise you in this? No. He said that to, to, to the Corinthian saints. These little safeguards. Hey, Philippians. Don't let this happen. Little safeguards. The parapet, so to speak. It just so happens we studied that on Wednesday. The parapet. Little safeguards. Building up these little sidewalls, making it nice and safe for the saints in Philippi. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless or innocent. Children of God without fault. Blameless. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How how appropriate is this for the remnant church in these last days? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But just like the Philippian saints doing things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Yes, in this crooked and perverse generation. 
but it is written here, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, remember, the formula must be right. The first Corinthians three bunch. Were they shining? And if they were shining, was it bright or was it like a little dim bulb? Was the flame very dimly lit because of the flesh, the carnal nature? Now, let's exclude Chloe from that because Chloe's in a different camp. I mean, she's in Corinth, but she's hardcore. One of Paul's gals. You see? Probably, you know, a home fellowship of females only. Most likely, I can make a strong case for it. Females. Bright, 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 bright. But the rest of the Corinthian saints, not so bright. Some of them dim already. Some of them running low on oil. And it will be the same in the last days. Running out of oil. Lamps going dark. As prophesied. It is prophetic for lamps to go out. But not with the remnant. You see? Yes, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, there are believers, a remnant who shine as lights in the world. In continuation, we see here in verse 16, holding fast, which is a military term, straight up military term, which is to to pay attention, to heed, and to retain. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, a future time. Yes, there's rejoicing that can happen now for Paul. I mean, at this particular juncture, at this particular time frame, Yes, there is rejoicing that can happen now, but there is much more rejoicing in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You see, a future. To rejoice in the future. I mean, paychecks. Forget the amount. But there is pre-labor and then future paycheck. Same concept. Labor and future reward. Paul says in verse 17, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering. Now remember this timing. Because Paul says, If I am being poured out as a drink offering. But he writes to Timothy at the end of 2 Timothy I am being poured out as a drink offering. Certain things that are unbeknownst to Paul at this time. He has a hunch it could turn out like this. If I am being poured out as a drink offering. But six years from this moment, he's going to be beheaded. And Paul says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. You see how deep this is? 
on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Can you see how deep this is? Do you remember in our study in Romans in chapter 12, how Paul says to present your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And we correlate that in our study in Leviticus, the offerings given before the Lord, given to the Lord, sacrifice and offerings made unto the Lord. And you see, you know, when, you know, what do I do to serve the Lord? What do I do? Do I, you you want more money? Do I tie this? Do I work over here? Do I work over here? Paul says, no, do none of that. Do none of that. He says, present your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Spiritually speaking, deeply spiritual. I don't don't speak to the carnal in saying this. I speak to the spiritual in saying this. You, you present your body to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. The burnt offering. And then Paul says, in verse 17, he says, If I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Spiritually speaking, now you see the saints of Philippi who have already presented themselves, not to say that it's a one-shot deal, but presented themselves as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. But why do they do that? How would they even know to do that? Paul, we want to serve the Lord. What do we do? Paul, we want to serve the Lord. Do you you want us to tithe more? Do you want us to do this work over here? Do that work over there? What do you want us to do, Paul? Keep your money. Present your body a living sacrifice. The saints in Philippi do that. And Paul mentions his own life as a drink offering on that sacrifice. Can you see that special marriage, that special oneness of pastor and flock? I mean, have you ever had a barbecue and you're making a barbecue and you don't want the steak to get too, you don't want whatever meat it is. You don't want it to get too too dry and tough and rough. So what do you do? You know, you add some kind of special juice mixture, some kind of flavoring juice or whatever. You know, you add some type of flavoring to it so it stays nice and moist and nice and flavorful. But when you do that, there's smoke coming from the meat, which because it's 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 burning. There's smoke coming from the meat. But the very instant you put fluid on it, some type of flavoring to to soften the meat, the very moment you do that, you're going to have this big puff of smoke. It's the steam and the flavors. And I don't know about you. I'm a meat eater. I smell that and it is beautiful. Now, that's according to the flesh. Spiritually speaking, That's a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Together, pastor and flock. Pastor, the flock offering unto the Lord as sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And then the pastor being poured out, the teacher being poured out as a drink offering. 
the sizzle. Sometimes loud, you know, you hear it. And that aroma going up into the heavenly. Sweet aroma unto the Lord. See? And not just, when he says in verse 17, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice, no period, and service, which translates in the Greek, liturgy. Liturgy. Now I say something to my Lutheran friends, even Catholic friends, even Methodist friends, and in some cases, even the Reformed in some Reformed fellowships, there's this desire to have liturgy in the fellowship. Liturgy, like an outward showing of things that seem to be holy. Liturgy, you know, you have the, the, the priest who swings the thing, the incense, you know, and you know, all these items and elements. Oh, I want to go to a church that has this liturgy because, you know, I like the, I like the appearance of what is holy. I like to look on this. I like these chalices. I like this. I like that. I like the statues. I like this because I like the looks of what is holy. I like to see the looks of holiness with my carnal eyes. You can't do that. And I love you. I don't care if you're Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, uh, 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 Calvinist, Reformed. I don't care. I mean, I care, but you know, like, I care in the sense to say this. Come out of her, my people. Biblical liturgy is not seen with carnal eyes. Biblical liturgy is the saint. Biblical liturgy is the saint who is consecrated. Not like what you see in 1 Corinthians 3, where there was leaven, and a little leaven leavens the bunch. Maybe a 1 Corinthians 12. Laying aside those things which so easily ensnared them and also separating from the leaven. Oh, but I like to go to the church. I don't feel religious in church, so I'm going to go to this other church where it's more liturgious. And, you know, I see the the, 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 the incense and they swing the thing, the incense. And I see the, the garb and, you know, the statues. And I like this aura of holiness. I want to see it with my own eyes. That's not, that's not the formula. That's not the formula. Maybe Old Testament, you know, very specific things in the, in, in the holy place, in the holy of holies, very specific, specific blueprints. But don't forget this. The showbread was not without leaven. See? Our flesh. Our flesh being made perfect. See? By the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. (laughs) Biblical liturgy is you. Your service unto the Lord. 
But wait, I thought you said I didn't have to do anything. You said I, all I had to do was present my body a living sacrifice. Yeah. Exactly. But what about service? Now you're saying service? You're saying that's liturgy, so what do I do? Your service unto the Lord cannot be compelled by me. Cannot be compelled by a pastor, by a teacher. Your service unto the Lord is done cheerfully unto the Lord. But in order to get to that level, first, present your body a living sacrifice. And then the Lord, who does the work in you, and once that sacrifice of you happens, then he does the work through you. Can you see? Can you see? That's the formula. That's how it works. That, that's the blueprints. There's more to the blueprints, but that's this section of the blueprints. That's how it works. That's how he works. And so we see this in verse 17. If I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad. Translates as full of joy. And rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad. You also be full of joy and rejoice with me. Look at this special oneness. Special marriage. Special union, this togetherness. Episunagage. Koinonia, Ecclesia. Hagios. The special oneness. And yet, never together again. In six years, Paul's going to be beheaded. You see? Because it's spiritual. And Paul says in verse 19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, beautiful Timmy. Remember when we started last week, you heard the, the reference and the mention that you're going to see Timothy kind of um, come to his, I mean, he's already been used in the past. He's already been used in certain capacities and he's being used here in this certain capacity. But very shortly on the timeline, very shortly, little Timmy will be little Pastor Timothy, uh, Timothy. Pastor Timothy, for 13 years, Paul's right-hand guy, right-hand kid, right-hand boy, right-hand kid, and not just like, hey, Paul, I want to hang out with you. You're a nice guy. I want to hang out with you. I mean, there was, there was that aspect of fellowship, but it's much deeper it's training for the next generation of pastoral leadership. Little Timmy. I trust in the Lord Jesus in verse 19 to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, when I know your condition. Remember, there's no social media back then. We're so spoiled today. 
You know, somebody would, Paul would send somebody and that person would, you know, the, that, that, that person would, would go and, you know, give a report, give an exhortation and correct. And that person would come back and say, hey, Paul, you know, we, we did this and, you know, everything. And, and the Lord is glorified here and the Lord is glorified there. And, you know, little chat, little tap, tap over here, little tap, tap over there. And they're doing good and they send you their love. They send you, and it's like, no social media. We're so spoiled now. But Paul also wants to be encouraged when he knows the state state of the condition of the Philippian saints. In verse 20, in verse 20, for I have no one. Now, he's speaking about Timothy. I have no one, he says. Of all the saints that Paul has encountered and been in contact with and poured into, of all these saints, Paul says of little Timmy, I have no one like-minded, same spirit, who will sincerely or genuinely care for your state. I have a mix of emotions in verse 20. I have a very, very big mix of emotions because I see it as very beautiful. I see it as very sad. Because of all the saints that Paul has encountered with, has an interaction with, Paul says, I have, I mean, you know, of all the saints, like it's a smaller remnant that's in his bubble. I mean, of all the saints, there's, you know, a remnant that has, like in Corinth, there's a remnant that has separation from the leaven. But then of, of, of all those, there's a specific grouping that's in his bubble. Now, in, in, of all, of everybody, I have no one, he says. Of this same mind, same spirit, who will genuinely and sincerely care for your state. It's beautiful and it's sad. Sad because you start to see it's very few. Very few. I went, do you remember in 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians Chapter 11. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 2. Paul. He says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you. He's speaking about marriage. Marriage. Not of the flesh. But he's speaking about marriage. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, who in the world speaks like like this today? Who in the world said, I want to present you as a chaste virgin? Who in the world, what male would speak of himself as a eunuch? What male as a eunuch I present you as a chaste virgin to Christ? That is my desire. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. What? Who speaks like this? And that's Paul. It's not like the average bear. 
something different about him. Peter. Some things are difficult to understand, but listen to Paul. He knows his stuff. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. And of all the people in Paul's sphere, there is no one as like-minded except for little Timmy. 13 years walking with Paul. You see? Now little Timmy can speak. Speaking about a better marriage to a better husband. Speaking about Christ and presenting saints as a chaste virgin to Christ. Who speaks like this? Little Timmy, he's one of Paul's kids. You see? Going back to Philippians chapter 2, in closing, Paul says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own. The self-interest. These are among the overseers. Paul as overseer, Timmy as overseer, Titus as overseer, future pastors. And Paul says, all seek their own. Remember the Miletus meeting, Acts chapter 20? The Miletus meeting with the elders of Ephesus. And Paul says, look, after my departure, when I leave, ravenous wolves will come in. And even among you guys, ravenous wolves will come in. You see, all seek their own. The self-interest church, the business model of a church. Oh, let's grow the church. Let's grow the church. Let's grow the church. We got to do this. We got to have this capital investment over here and you do our, our taxes like this and investment over here and grow and the church growth, you know, oh, I'm all about church growth, church growth and Pastors who come in, the church growth model, you know, pastor will come in for a year, take a lot of money, you know, start a church, leave it to the next guy and say, okay, I'm going to go to this next town and start a church. No, they're following a business model. You look at their taxes and you'll see something that'll blow you away. It's a tax scam. It's a scheme. It's a secret scheme that we're warned about. All seek their own. Oh, I'm going to be a pastor. I want likes on social media. I want to be an influencer on social media. So I think I'm going to be a pastor. All seek their own. But who is on their face before the Lord? When nobody's watching. All seek their own. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Something very special about this bubble of Paul. Speaking about Timothy, little Timmy, for 13 years. Can you imagine? 
when we look at Acts and we see the birth of the church in uh, uh, Philippi, and you got this, Paul, who's this? Yeah, this kid's like, he's like a test to you at the hip. Who is this little guy? Oh, this is little Timmy. Let me introduce you to little Timmy. You see, here's his dad. You see here, like his dad's there for a short period of time. Not a lot of is said about Tim's dad. You see Eunice and Lois, but not a lot is said about Tim's dad. But a beautiful man. Paul, who, you go to synagogue and get this little kid. He's like right at your, like right at attached. You guys are like attached at the shoulders. Who is this little guy? Oh, it's little Timmy. Then Timmy grows up. A little deeper voice. Maturing according to the flesh. And maturing according to the spirit. Equipped. Trained up for the work of the ministry. As prophesied in his life. He says in verse 22, but you know his proven character about this, this Timothy who he's going to send to him. He says in verse 19, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm going to send Timothy to you shortly. Verse 22, you know his proven character, proven character. That as a son, as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So, you see little Timmy, you know, 13 years with Paul, but when he was with his dad, maybe even a couple years prior to that, maybe in totality, 15 years with Paul, 16 years with Paul. Who is this little kid, Tim? Paul, who's this little kid? He's like attached to you. Paul knows what's prophesied. On his life, little Timmy's life, future pastor, ministry, servant of the Lord, bond servant of the Lord. Remember how the Philippians started in chapter 1, verse 1? Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. You see? It's powerful. Yes, the next generation of righteousness, absolutely. But the next generation of overseers, pastoral leadership. And he served with me in the gospel. He says in verse 22, as a son with his father, Papa. You see? I love it. Timothy's walk with the Lord began with Mama and Papa. And let's add into the mix, Grandma. That's how Timothy's walk began. And then for the parents to say, Paul, take him with you. I mean, do you see how hardcore that is? For parents to say, here's my son, Take him. <laughs> I mean, that, you don't say that to just anybody. 
But the parents know the prophecy too. What was prophesied on little Timmy's life, this is going to be a, a, a pastor, a ministry leader. And Paul says in verse 23, Therefore I hope to send him at once or immediately as soon as I see how it goes with me. Remember, Paul's in prison. Remember we the correlating passages from Acts? Paul's in jail. He's captured. He's not going to be freed again. Ultimately, six years from now, he's going to be beheaded. So all these things that are unknown to Paul at this juncture, unknown to Paul, I hope to send him immediately as, as soon as I see how it goes with me. Let me see how things go. He says in verse 24, But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come to you shortly. Very interesting. I love this passage so much because whether or not Paul sees them, the Corinthian or the Philippian saints, whether or not Paul sees them or not, has no impact on his trust in God. Christians today tend to get themselves in trouble. Oh, I trust in the Lord that XYZ is going to happen and it's not happening. And a couple months later, it's still not happening. A couple years later, it's still not happening. So you know what? I'm going to take it upon myself to go ahead and do this. You see that with Abraham and Sarah even. See, or, well, I trust in the Lord for this to happen, and, well, it's not happening. Six months later, it's still not happening. Six years later, it's still not happening. Ten years later, it's still not happening. So, I guess I'm done with God now. That's what happens. Paul says, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come to you shortly, but I love this There's a lot of unknowns to Paul at this juncture. There's a lot of knowns to Paul, but there's a lot of unknowns. He doesn't know. But it's beautiful. I I love seeing these moments of humanity. Old Testament, New Testament. You see these moments of humanity. Just like Moses. When Moses went, remember the, the females came to him? What about our inheritance? And... What does Moses do? He seeks the Lord. You know, good question, ladies. Let me find out. He goes to the Lord. And then the Lord says, Moses, they're right. These females are right. They also have inheritance. Okay, so Moses comes out. Ladies, you're right. Beautiful. Remember, the second census of numbers has females. And so we continue in verse 25 in closing. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. I am so in love with Epaphroditus. I can't wait to meet him. My brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. Now, my brother, there's some schools of thought which say it's Paul's biological brother. But to me, that's irrelevant biological family you know i love biological family but what i love better spiritual family 
the tree of Abraham, the tree of Christ. That's the family tree. I mean, biological, you know, I love. Spiritual, I love more. And yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Now, me personally, this is just me personally. I don't like the word soldier. That's just me personally. I have my reasons, but we'll save that for another day. How this translates in the Greek, my fellow soldier is sustratiotes. Sustratiotes in the Greek. Which is close companionship of warriors. Warriors. I love that. And speaking of this Epaphroditus, who's a fellow warrior, but speaking to the saints in Philippi, your messenger. You see, because Epaphroditus was sending unto Paul gifts and uh, uh, messages and greetings and blessings from the saints in Philippi. You see a picture of the body caring for the body. And we're going to study this in future chapters. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's what Epaphroditus, that was the ministry, one of the ministries of Epaphroditus. The one who ministered to my need, he says. You see the body caring for the body in verse 26. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. Epaphroditus was distressed. He became sad because he heard that the saints in Philippi heard that he was sick. You see, he knew... My brethren in my hometown, my brethren in Philippi, they found out that I was sick and now I'm sad because I don't want them to worry about me. That's the mindset of that. That's the situation that Epaphroditus was in. And so we see in verse 27, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. He almost died. Imagine the shock. Say we're Philippian Christians. We're in the Philippian and we get a letter. We're like, okay, we got a letter. And then we see the mention of Epaphroditus. We're like, oh man, you know, we heard that he was sick. How's he doing? And then we get confirmation here. Like, yes, he was sick and he almost died. You know what, <laughs> what, a, what a shock that would be to us. Indeed, he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. See the body here? The body caring for the body. The Philippian saints. They have their own messenger in Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, go to Paul, go to Paul, go to go to Paul and give him this. And remember when you were in our study in the book of Acts and you'd see how Paul was in a in a state of imprisonment, but yet how it you know, God had favor on him and mercy upon him. And what happened is that he had like you know, home visits. He was allowed home visit and visitors. Well, one of those visitors was Epaphroditus. And what did Paul say? You know, like in in Timothy's case, when he would write to Timothy, you know, send me parchment. Send me parchment. I mean, 
people in jail, when they ask for stuff, when they send a letter, oh, you know, uh, send me tapes, send me music, send me food, send me this, send me paper. Send me paper. You know why? Because Paul would write letters exhorting the church, exhorting the saints while in prison. It's like, oh man, it's such a bummer that he's in prison. He's already in chains. He's already in chains. A bondservant of Christ, an ambassador of Christ, an ambassador in chains. You see? In verse 28, therefore I sent him the more eagerly. This is Epaphroditus. I sent him back to you. That when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. You see, again, the body caring for the body. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. This is so beautiful. Who? Ha- we've all heard of Peter. We've heard of James. We've heard of Paul. We've heard of Barnabas. Who's heard of Epaphroditus? And yet of this person. Paul says, hold such men in esteem. You see? Hold people like this in esteem. Because, in verse 30, for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life. You see, that's how sold out he was to Christ. Have you ever had a doctor recommend to you, like, this isn't good? You need to sleep? You know, you're killing yourself. Epaphroditus, that's nice. It's the work of Christ. For the work of Christ, Epaphroditus, he came close to death, not regarding his life. To supply what was lacking in your service towards me, in your liturgy towards me. You see? Liturgy is the saint. Liturgy is the service of the saint, the consecrated saint. That's liturgy. That's biblical liturgy. Not what you see items on a table. Not the incense you see swinging on the thing. The priest in his garment, the priest in his garb, and all these things, and, you know, chalice over here, chalice over there, and bing over here, and boom over there, and no. Liturgy is you. Your service unto the Lord. And how He wants to use you. How He wants to work through you. Because remember, in verse 13, God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Now, for His good pleasure, remember my exhortation to write this down, to determine, to delight, to be active, to be mighty, and to show himself. You see him do that all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. You see him do it with Paul. You see him do it with Moses. You see him do it with Hannah. You see him do it with Ruth. But precursor to the Lord doing those things inside of those vessels, those vessels are first given over to him. Remember, in then through. In, then, through. 
Paul says, hold guys like this in high esteem. The work of Christ. Not regarding his life. Oh, but you could die, you could die. A big smile on the face. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Different church. These saints in Philippi, they're different. They're not like the average bear, so to speak. Just like Paul, he's not like the average bear. Just like Timothy, he's not like the average bear. No one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. The earlier exhortation we gave. Where is it that you are? What, what grade are you in, so to speak? 1 Corinthians 3? First grade? And we have to be straight up. There's no shame in being honest. There's beauty behind it. Why? Because it's like, okay, yes, I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm the 1 Corinthians 3 type of Christian. Okay, we're honest. Now what? Let's get to a 1 Corinthians 5 type. Now, not the 11, the good type, the remnant. You see? Which repentance has to happen. Now 1 Corinthians 5 type, now 1 Corinthians 10 type, now 2 Corinthians type, now Galatians, you know, okay, I'm in Galatians and I'm, I, I know the Bible, I know the Old Testament, and do I do these things of the law? No, righteousness doesn't come through the law. We're not justified by the works of the law. If righteousness comes through, through the law, then Christ died in vain. No, we have to understand these propagators of such things, don't listen to them. Remember, Sudadelphos? Fake brothers, fake brethren. As we grow and we mature, then we get into fourth grade, Ephesians. Then we get into fifth grade, Philippians. Moving on to perfection. And moving on to perfection, what do we see? In Philippi, such as a one as Epaphroditus, man, male. But don't forget, Corinth had Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful female. Beautiful, beautiful male. Everything presented as living sacrifices to the Lord. The overseers being poured on their sacrifice as a drink offering. Can you see this oneness? If you've been walking with us for a while, reflecting back on our studies through Leviticus and the very special care that was done by the priest, and in some cases, the high priest, it's beautiful. Especially knowing who the high priest is in the order of Melchizedek as given by our father. It's beautiful. It is holy. We're going to end our study here and Lord willing pick up in chapter 3 next week to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.